Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Come on in. Come on in. Get comfortable. Uh, today, I uh, I thought I wasn't going to be able to make it, but I am actually here mainly because rain, 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 rain um, ruined <laughs> the whole Daytona 500. I told you guys I was coming up here to support LeVar Scott, uh, the black race car driver that we are sponsoring in the Black Business School. And I did get to meet up with LeVar and I did get to introduce him to our son. But unfortunately, uh, we we didn't get to see any races, and uh, and actually, uh, it it was interesting though. He actually raced, but he raced in uh, what was called the ARCA series, and so um, so ultimately, uh, he uh, he was doing really well. He was in, uh, I think he was in the he was in contention. He was in top ten, and uh, he felt like he was he was already making moves to the to the front of the race. And then there was this really ugly crash, this big crash. So suddenly this car turns like, and he ends up T-boning into a car. So the car uh, kind of jackknives, hits the wall. He slams into the car. And then next thing you know, their their cars are all flipping up in the air and everything. So uh, so he, he sends me the video of um, of the crash. And I was like, okay, are you okay? <laughs> like, you know, that's my first thought. Like, oh my God, you, you can get hurt like this. And um, he is okay. He said his his legs feel a little bit shaky, but but uh, I just talked to him. Uh, actually, he's downstairs in the house right now, where we're. Um, he came to our Airbnb to hang out with us, and uh, and so he is okay. But but anyway, uh, if you want to look into this, um, Lavar Scott is the driver that we're supporting, and uh, and I really and I really think it's important for us to kind of know about these things because I don't know if y'all know. First of all, can you guys hear me okay? Give me a yes if you can hear me okay. I want to make sure my audio is coming through all right. Uh, and actually, I'm going to send out a, you're, you're going to if you're on that text list, more texting morning to eight, seven, nine, four, eight. You're going to get a text from me in one second because I want to text everybody. Let them know that we're here in class, because I know that I told you guys that I probably wouldn't be able to make Sunday. And uh, and I feel kind of bad that I had to change the plan. But this morning I just decided I said, you know, I really miss my students. I want to hang out with you guys. And uh, and there's no point in going down to a big wet racetrack where nothing's going to happen today. So if you give me one second here, uh, and if you aren't on the text list, text the word morning to 87948. Text morning to 87948. Um, give me one second here. Hold on. Hold up. Wait. All right. Let me. Okay. All right, so the text is going out. And so so yeah, so if you if you've already done this, if you're already on the text list, you're gonna get this text in. You should get it now. Let me know. Give me a yes if you get the text like right now. Let me know if you got the text right now. Because I am curious to see if um if the text messages are going out quickly or not. So let me know if you guys just got a text message I, or, or if it's delayed. I'd be curious to know about that. Let me see here. Yes. Okay. Thank you, Errol. Um, I thought you canceled yesterday, AC Salam. We did cancel yesterday. And I actually mentioned that I would probably cancel for the whole weekend. <clears throat> and that was only because it would have been really difficult for me to do class from, from the Speedway. There's not a lot of space to do. Okay. Thank you, uh, Paige and uh, Tequila. I appreciate you very much. And Elaine and Anissa and Sharon, good morning to you. Uh, it's so good to see everybody. So yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so we are sponsoring this race car driver. And I said, look, man, I said, we, we don't have a trillion dollars to, uh, to fund what you're doing, but I believe in what you're doing and I believe in supporting our own. Um, and I also think uh, one thing I wanted to mention to everybody is you guys may or may not know this, but I was introduced, uh, to uh, some black history by a guy named Anthony Martin, Anthony and his wife, Michelle, they run something called the urban youth racing school out of Philadelphia. And what they're doing is they, they got all these kids from the hood, you know, kids that look like us that, and these, these, this couple, they're hundred percent B one. They, um, and they're training them on on all the elements of race car driving and all the opportunities there. So some of their their kids are becoming drivers. Uh, like I met one one kid named Marlon, who's uh, who's now testing to get into NASCAR. But a lot of them are actually getting into STEM, and STEM is um, uh, obviously important, right? It's 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 another skill that's very marketable. There's lots of jobs there. There's lots of opportunity there. And also, uh, you know, every now and then when I hang out in different spaces, I, 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 I'm i going to be honest with you, I don't get a chance to talk to a lot of white people 
Uh, not because I hate them, but just because I just, I'm not, you know, just like they ain't thinking about me. I ain't really thinking about them like that. I'm thinking about y'all. So I talk to you all a lot more than I talk to white people. So every now and then they'll, they'll take me into space where I'll just get to meet these interesting white people. And, uh, and so I was talking to some, um, some folks over like with Chevy and then some other people with a company called Haas, H-A-A-S. And one thing that I found out, and I'm going to try to dig into this more, and I encourage you to be open to this, um, is, uh, they're, um, that that they mentioned to me, they said they said there is so much money in. I think they let me make sure they, they do manufacturing. That's it. They do manufacturing, and they do it for like F you know Formula One cars and all that stuff. But they said that there is so much money in manufacturing. And one thing that they said was they said you know we really want to get more black people into manufacturing. There's so much money, so many opportunities. And again, you know, when I meet people, I just measure them based on their spirit. You know, I know a lot of people think that because I'm so pro black that I have to be anti white. And honestly, I think that um, that that feeling that way is a type of white supremacy. It, it kind of speaks to this false notion that in order for me to be an effective black man, I got to be sitting around obsessed with white people. And I just don't do that. I don't I don't I just don't you know, if you're a good person, you're a good person. If you're not, you're not. And uh, and so so every now and then I'll talk to people and I'll just measure their their spirit. And they seem to be genuinely interested in this idea of getting more black people into manufacturing. And uh, and I thought about my wife. My wife is from Gary, Indiana, where manufacturing used to be really important. And uh, and I thought about all these opportunities that a lot of our people are never exposed to, because when we go to school, they screw up. Right. They screw us up in school where it's all about it's only about going to college and getting the bachelor's degree and getting the student loans. And that's nice. That's important. That's an important part of the economy. But there's this whole other massive part of the economy that consists of people that just know how to do stuff. They just know they just have like real skill. Like they can actually put a car together and 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 build a house and 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 paint it and and do the plumbing for the house, right? And 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 those are the things that we've lost. I really feel like as a community, we just lost that. And I, I feel like we were kind of the originators of that. I think I know that there are so many people who have been master craftsmen and master craftswomen. I don't know if that's the right term to use, or maybe the women are craftsmen too. But either way, like we have been masters at all sorts of crafts. And I think we lost so much of that because we fell into this whole this whole model, this silly model of just of just pursuing student loans and corporate jobs. And I don't believe student loans and corporate jobs is the solution for our people long term for everybody. It's not going to do it for everybody. So long story short, these are some of the things I've been exploring and looking into and talking to people about. And, uh, and I'll come back and share this with you if I see an opportunity. Uh, so I was open to talking to the people at house. At, at house, I, I talked to them for a while, and and we had a lot in common. And 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 I'm like, yeah, if you want, if you need black people that want to work hard, that are smart and you know determined, like I, that's those are the people that follow me. Those are the people that I'm connected to because we don't, you know, we don't relate to every black person. There's a lot of people that unfortunately in our culture that are not where they need to be or where we where I would like for them to be. But it's okay because there's so many intelligent black people out here that uh, if you give them a little tiny opportunity, they'll just go in there and kill it. Now, remember, though, my goal for you is not just for you to go get opportunities or for your kids to just get opportunities. My goal for you is uh, for you to elevate your economic consciousness to the point where your consciousness rises uh, to to what I call, what I can refer to. I, re in, I refer to this in my book, uh, my, The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power. I want you to be an economic god. Uh, and, and I don't mean that to be in a sacrilegious way. I know it's Sunday, so I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, to be speaking against anybody's religion on, on a Sunday. But what, what, but here's what I mean when I talk about economic God and God consciousness. Uh, so first off, remember, I told you I've, we talked earlier in financial consciousness about the fact that consciousness means you just rise into different levels. Right. We, we live in a three dimensional world. But the fourth dimension is where you don't just see what's in front of you and see what's around you. You can see where things are going and where things were. You can see the past. You can see the future. The fifth dimension is where you don't just see the past and the future and the present. You see all the possibilities. You, that's what quantum computing does. You can see uh, not just what is going to be, but you can see all the things that could be. You don't just see what happened. You see all the things that could have happened. That's why quantum computing is, is a, a billion times more powerful than regular computers, because quantum computers live in that fifth dimension. They can see all the possibilities. It's all about probability space, right? But then there's that sixth dimension where, um, where the sixth dimension is actually where they say God lives, because that's where you have that ability to really manifest and create realities 
based on just uh, what comes to you through the ether, like your creativity kind of allowing you to just see things that, that just aren't even there, things that aren't, don't even seem possible at the time. And, uh, and so these are the people, in my opinion, these are the people that become kind of the economic gods of the economy. Let me explain why, uh, just for our first consciousness exercise, I'm going to explain to you why for many of us as black people, we're trained to believe that white people are our economic gods. Now, before I move on on this, give me a yes if you're kind of following what I'm saying. Give me a yes if you kind of get it. And I can explain it further if you need me to. And I'll, I'll keep making reference to this till eventually you get you get what I'm saying. I I, I hope I'm not talking, getting too, uh, you know, too mushy here and too uh, hoity-toity because I didn't even plan on talking about this today, to be honest with you. But I figure it's a great way to start our consciousness conversation. OK, so so here's where white people basically become your economic gods. White people are your economic gods for this very reason. Millions of black people are going to go to church this Sunday and they're going to be uh, at the altar praying. And most of them are going to be praying about problems that they're having in, in one of three key areas. The three key areas are health, wealth, or relationships. Your health, something, you know, the doctor gave you a bad test and not, or, or something and you got to, you're hoping it gets better. Your wealth, your money, right? You're stressed out financially. You're trying to figure out a way to make a way or your relationships. Maybe you're, you're, you're in a bad, you know, your girlfriend's dumping you, your, your husband's leaving, your kids won't talk to you, your parents suck or, or something. You're mad at your best friend, whatever, right? So, so I'm going to focus on that, on that middle area, wealth. So a lot of us as black people, we go to church on Sunday, we go see Pastor T.D. Jakes or somebody else, may, or maybe another pastor who doesn't go to Diddy parties, and and we're at the altar and we're praying, you know, for financial security. We're praying for opportunities. We're praying to that our financial problems will go away. We're praying away our financial anxiety. You see, church and, and spirituality, it's not a bad thing at all. I'm a very spiritual person. I believe in God. I do. I don't. I know I didn't create myself. I, I don't make my body move the way it moves. I, there's a billion processes that are happening in my body such that if any of those processes were to shut down tomorrow, to, to, right at this moment, I wouldn't be, be able to talk to you anymore <laughs> because I'd be dead, right? So, so I do believe in God in that way. There's something greater than me that created me. I don't know what that is, but it's, it, it does exist. So, so don't, so this is not at all me critiquing religion, but one thing that religion does, one reason that I believe pastors deserve to be compensated for their work. I, I don't get offended when I see a pastor live in a nice house or driving a nice car or being comfortable in his or her life. I only, the only, the, the, the only condition I ask for is that the pastor just simply do his or her job. If the pastor is doing his or her job, then I think they deserve to have a comfortable life. Maybe they don't deserve a private jet, but they deserve to at least be able to pay the bills. And the reason is because the pastor has performed a service to you. Uh, and the service is that they have given you something through the sermon that has given you a sense of peace. They've given you something in the sermon that has inspired you. How many of you go to church and you leave church and you feel good? You feel better. You feel renewed. Right, you're getting this injection. You, 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 they're, they're, they're taking it right to the, right to the bloodstream. Right, you, you, you're taking, you're taking the hit, but you're, you're feeling good. You're ready for the world after you go to church. I know that's how I feel, and, uh, and for everybody has a type of church. I think if you don't go to church, everybody should. But maybe you don't go to a regular church. Maybe you don't even do it in a religious way. Everybody needs to go to church every single day, for this reason. And what I, and what do I mean by church? Church is any place you go. Any ritual you have, anything that you do that elevates your spirit and helps you to remember who the hell you are. That's what church is. Church is anything, any process that you do every morning. I don't think, and I don't think everybody should go to church once a week. I think you should go to church every day. I go to church every morning. You know what? You know where my church is at? My church is called Planet Fitness. And when I go to Planet Fitness, I put on my headphones. And especially when I'm and I, and I monitor my mood, I get in touch with my feelings and say, how am I feeling today? Am I feeling tired? Am I feeling am I feeling smart or am I feeling dumb? Am I feeling weak? Or am I feeling strong? Am I feeling focused or am I feeling unfocused? Am I feeling worthy or am I feeling unworthy? And based on the the, the diagnosis that 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 Dr. Boyce gives of of who 
Boyce is or Coco is. Coco's my my nickname from childhood. I dig to the core of that inner child and see how he's feeling. Based on that, I design, a, I write a prescription for him and I say, you know, he's feeling kind of down. He's not understanding why he's doing this. He doesn't know why he needs to get out of bed. He doesn't know if he's going to make it through. He doesn't know how he's going to solve this problem. So he, my prescription for him, my diagnosis is that he's feeling a little bit down and he needs a certain type of spiritual renewal this morning that's going to get him centered. So that might mean listening to some motivational speeches on Spotify. It might mean writing down my goals. It might mean some meditation. It might mean some mantra repetition in my head to get myself recentered on who I need to be, right? It's a recentering process. Do you understand? So, so I think everybody should go to church every day. And in fact, maybe for some of you, this class is church. That it's your financial church. It, it is for me. It is for me. I didn't just create this uh this daily thing, this daily financial consciousness training for you. I did it also for myself because I said, you know, I really want to connect and I really want our messages of economic strength to resonate. And I, I think the best way to do it is to repeat ourselves and to talk about these things every single morning so that every single day we're just accustomed to this basic idea every day that we got to get our economics right. Because that's the thing. That's the one thing that's going to have more impact than any politician, any civil rights march, any any amount of, of praying and hoping and everything like this. Fixing this one thing economically is going to do more to restore our families than almost anything else we can do. So. Um, so this this is part of my church also. Seeing you every morning is church for me. I, I felt weird that I didn't go to church yesterday morning uh, and I went down to the speedway. I said, gosh, I don't want to get in the habit of not doing this. It's almost like waking up every morning and kissing my wife. So everybody should go to church every day. And and so 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 that's what your pastor does. Right. Your pastor gives you uh, that that renewal that you need and it's okay to 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 understand that and to accept that because that's an important part of training your subconscious mind it's an important part of of helping you uh sort of rekindle the love that you have for yourself it's it's a way of falling back in love with the goals that you have and your future and oh, why do you think most people start off the the year with these great new year's resolutions and they dump them by february or march it's because there's not a daily renewal process to remind you, no, 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 this is who the hell we are. This is what we're doing this year. This is where we at. Do you understand? You you need that. Okay. So, so here's what um I will say this. This is where we make white people into our economic gods. And I'm going to explain this now. White people become our economic gods because think about this. When you're a church and it, um, 10 million black people are at church right now, and they're sitting at the altar and they're praying to white Jesus, black Jesus, and baby Jesus. Well, pick one. And they're praying uh, for things to happen in their lives economically. Lord, please give me a better job. Lord Jesus, please uh, help my boss understand how valuable I am to the company. Lord, please uh, convince my boss to give me a raise. Uh, Lord, please make sure I get the position. Uh, you know, right. All these, all these prayers that are financial and they're typically related to uh, some sort of opportunity development or creation that is controlled by somebody else you know you're, you're praying for these opportunities economically through the the through the vacuum tube of 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 some institutional infrastructure that could easily make your dreams come true where there is some guy typically a white guy who can literally snap his fingers you know you know who he is we maybe for you he's Mr. Smith for somebody else he's he's Mr. Wilson or whatever there's some Mr. Wilson Mr. Smith or whoever think about your your manager think about your boss's boss at UPS or whatever who can make who can literally change your life like literally just say, you know, you've been working really hard and, and we really appreciate you here, uh, Felicia. So we're going to give you a ra that raise and promotion you've been wanting. And then you go back to church, church you're like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for, for, for helping him see how great I am. And thank you for creating this opportunity. And, and I, I feel like that makes white people our economic gods because, because really, instead of, just, instead of going to church and praying to Jesus, I might as well just go straight and go pray to my boss. Because my boss is the one who's going to make the decision as to whether or not my economic situation is going to improve or not. You know, typically white people are the ones who control our economic outcomes. And we're trained on this as black people. We're, we're trained to be in a space where we seek out opportunities, but we don't know where those opportunities come from. We seek out opportunities from the people that have the ability to create opportunities for others. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let me know. Let me know you're following this, so that so that we're, so we're on the same page. You don't have to agree. Just just see if. Let me know if you understand my logic here and the argument that I'm seeking to make. 
I, I remember when I would go to church and I remember I would sit here and I would just pray. I'd be like, man, I, I remember James Brown where he said in his song, uh, he said, uh, I don't need nobody to give me nothing. Just open the door and I'll get it myself. And I, and I used to say that. Yeah, just I don't need nobody to give me nothing. Just open the door and I'm going to get it myself. And that's true, right? That's true. But then we never ask the really important question. Our consciousness does not go to the next level to say, well, who who controls the door? Who's 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 deciding if the door is going to be open or not? And why do they get to decide to open the door and I can't open the door? And who make who manufactures these doors? Where did where did these doors come from? Who these magical doors to opportunity? Who are the people that create these doors? Who are the ones that get to decide to open door? How come you get to open my door but I can't open your door? I don't know about any black people who go through life aware that they can open doors for white people. White people don't go to church and say, gosh, I, I hope Tyrone, uh, I hope Tyrone and Shaquanda will just open the door so I can get it myself. I, I just need an opportunity. They don't do that. They don't do that because they're, they're, they, they, they see themselves as here and they see you as here. You're the subordinate. You know, the best thing they can do for you in their head is to give you an opportunity to be nice to you and say, gosh, you know, we really, we really want to do something good for you people because, you know, you've been through a lot and we just want to be fair and, and we're, we, we can't give you as much as you think you deserve, but we'll give you something. We get to decide how much we give you. Do you understand that, that that's, and that's fine. And I'm not saying that it's bad at all, but really this is what you even see when you see, has anybody ever met like a really paternalistic, condescending white liberal ally do-gooder who really wants to do right by black folks and just felt like like you felt insulted but you didn't know why because they're super nice to you and they're really trying their best to alleviate their guilt by doing something nice for black people and i don't i'm not even mad at these people i'm not mad at them at all because the same way a lot of our consciousness it starts at a low level their consciousness may not be at the level it needs to be right but but really it's the reason you feel insulted is because it's not really supposed to be that way, actually. When you talk about something like reparations, the fact is that you owe us $14 trillion. You you, you can't decide, like, well, we know we owe you $14 trillion, but we can't afford to pay that. And uh, Lord knows that we got to pay our bills first, and whatever's left after we pay for our stuff we'll give you a piece of that. Like, we'll, we can't give you 14 trillion, but we'll give you like 1% of the 14 trillion uh, because that's what we can afford. Right. That that's not how it's supposed to be. You're not supposed to be able to make that decision. But the structure, the infrastructure of our economic system allows you to be able to do that. And this is not just a system that other people created and forced upon us. This is also a system that we perpetuate ourselves. We are just as committed to that system as they are. Right. So so don't act like it's just them. I'm not going to let you off the hook. I, I'll sit there. I will look in the face of any white person in America and they want me to explain what white people did to black people that was wrong. I will gladly explain it to them and with, with diagrams and spreadsheets and do a PowerPoint presentation, whatever you need, Mr. White Man, to understand that that that, that you messed up and that you owe us. I can do that for you and I can break it down so, so well it'll make your head hurt. But then I'm going to turn to black people and say, why are you participating in the illusion that he has? He he has this illusion, and but you're participating in it too. So don't, so don't act like it's just on him. This this whole white supremacy thing is a creation by by all of us. It must be maintained by all of us. If one of us stops dancing, then there is no more there is no more waltzing or no, there's no more dancing together. It's a two step. Right. So we're not so we're two stepping. You know, they step to the left. We step to the right. They step forward. We step back. And and, and we're acting like they're dancing by themselves. No, that's the white supremacy, in my opinion, is a two person dance, because if one person decides that I'm not playing this game with you, then there is no game to be played. Do you understand? It's a think about it. It's like um I think about like a football game, right? And I think about like I use football analogies, which makes me such a hypocrite because my wife just did a whole video about why how she wishes there was a world without football because she's one hundred percent correct. She points out all the statistics on concussions and all that, and I hate it. It sucks. But then I was the guy watching the Super Bowl like intensely, so it's that's that's the hypocrite in me. That's the little kid in me. I just love football, and uh, and and so in the football game, here's the thing, right? So so it, so let me ask y'all this question: consciousness exercise. This is a trigger warning or a warning here. This is a conscious exercise. 
when the Kansas City Chiefs lined up to play against the San Francisco 49ers in the Super Bowl, if I was to ask the Kansas City Chiefs, which team uh, has supremacy, supremacy is the, the operative word, which team has supremacy over the other? What do you think they would say to me? The, the 49ers or the Chiefs? Right in the chat. If I was asked Patrick Mahomes for the Kansas City Chiefs and Chris Jones from the Kansas City Chiefs and all the other players, Pacheco from the Kansas City Chiefs and Coach Andy Reid from the Kansas City Chiefs, which team has supremacy over the other? What answer would they give? Answer me. Answer me in the chat. I, I, I like to make complex conclusions with simple questions. So so write this in the chat. Okay. They would say Chiefs. Chiefs. We are. We, 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 we're superior. Look, look at our offense. Look at our look at our quarterback. There's no Patrick Mahomes. There's nobody can match him. Look, look at our defense. Our defense best in the league. They can't beat us. Okay. So they believe that they are supreme supreme. They they believe in Chiefs supremacy, which is can be compared to white supremacy. So maybe, let's say the let's say the Chiefs are like white people, right? So let's just do that, even though the Chiefs won, but I don't think. I think we're going to win. So maybe the Chiefs are black people. How about that? Let's, I don't know, whatever. All right, so so let's, let's that, that, that part of the analogy doesn't even work. So let's go over across the field. So I'm going to go talk to interview the San Francisco 49ers. And I'm going to say, you know, I interviewed 14 players on the Kansas City Chiefs. And they all voted that the Chiefs are the supreme team. They actually said that because they are superior, that you should forfeit the game and you should go ahead and concede because they're going to automatically win because, I mean, look at how great their quarterback is and their defense and everything else. So you might as well not even play because they're they're superior. So what you can do, what they offered you, was they offered you a second-place trophy. They said, here, you know, here's, here's a million dollars and a second-place trophy. We're going to take the Lombardi trophy, which goes to the winner, because we all should agree that we are superior. We have supremacy over you. So just play your position, you know. Play your role. Don't be a troublemaker. Don't be don't be met, disrupting the caste system here. Just accept your position. What do you think the 49ers would say? If I went to the 49ers and said, which team do you think is the superior team between you and the Chiefs? What do you think the 49ers would say? What do you if I went to Debo Samuels and Christian McCaffrey and and Brock Purdy? That's such a weird name for a quarterback. And, and if I went to George Kittle and and that guy, uh Nick, Nick, uh, I forgot his name. He's a defensive lineman, but he's really, really good. He, he always smiles every time he he crushes somebody's skull. Right. Uh, who do you think that they would say was the superior team? Do you think that they would submit to chief supremacy? Do you think they'd say, oh, yeah, well, you know, we should probably go ahead and we don't want to make no trouble now. We just we just, we'll, we'll just take our trophy and we'll save everybody the, the 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 pain of having to go through this horrible football game that we're going to clearly lose. What would they what do you think they would say? Who do you think they would pick as a superior team? Answer me. Answer me in the chat. What do you think the 49ers would say? So we know what the answer would be. They would say the 49ers, right? They'd say, well, look at our team. Look, we've got Debo Samuels. There is no other Debo Samuels. Christian McCaffrey, best running back in the NFL. Look at our defense. Look at our linemen. They're, they're amazing, right? So that's what they would do, right? So so, 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 so here's the thing. I, I look at white supremacy the same way you look at a football game. If It doesn't matter if the other team declares themselves to be superior to you. It only matters if you believe it. Now, if you believe it, if the 49ers believed that the Chiefs were clearly going to beat them and that it was a waste of time to confront them, they just lose money, lose time, have somebody get hurt, then they're not, they wouldn't challenge them. They wouldn't, they, they you know, they, 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 they would just accept it. And, 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 and almost like a high school team, like no high school team would take on the Kansas City Chiefs because they would get killed. Like the children would die that day. So, so they wouldn't, they would never challenge the Kansas City Chiefs, because they say, yeah, the Chiefs are too good. We can't play them. Oh, my God. Are you crazy? Right. Uh, but the 49ers are saying, no, 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 buddy. Mm -mm. We're going to line up. We're going to line up on like Cat Williams said, let's get on the line, boy, boy. And let's see what's <laughs> remember that part. So 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 the point of the matter is to say that I, I believe firmly that when you're talking about this game of economic competition, global economic warfare, the game of poweronomics, there are some of us. Who, uh, who approach the challenge the way a high school team would approach the Kansas City Chiefs. There are some of us who say, yeah, you know, white people are better, they're smarter, they're more capable, they have more infrastructure, they're 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 amazing. You know, we we just the best chance we have of even being in this game is to go ahead and accept second place 
and just hope that they allow us to have a couple of points. Like you can have 49 points, just give us seven. So, so just give us an opportunity to score a touchdown every now and then. There's that word. I'm circling back to the original analogy. So just give us an opportunity every now and then. I'll, we just want to look. I just want to look good in front of my girlfriend. I just want to say that I scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl and, and just just allow us to just have a little bit. Now, because you're going to get the most, you'll get the bulk of it and everything else. But just give us some scraps. Just give us some crumbs and and and, and we and this will work. This becomes and this creates peace. This is peaceful. Nobody gets hurt. There ain't no concussions. Nobody's getting carried off the field. This is a nice, safe way to play football. So the same way that you talk about playing physical football, that's how I view the game of economic football. There are these, and and I and I would refer to uh, a lot of us are trained to be the safe Negroes. We're all we're very safe. We don't want to we don't want to challenge the systems. We don't want to go out here and and create volatility and chaos. We we just take what we can get and take what we're given, and uh, that's a, a broadly a function of a, of of low self esteem, a lack of confidence, or perhaps a lack of self worth. Uh, it is also driven perhaps by some intimidation, uh, maybe a lack of understanding. Maybe we don't even know how to beat this football team. They, they're, they're such a good team and they won so many championships. How, how are we going to compete with that? Right. So there are some of us who just accept our role, play our position and just hope that we can convince the other team to just give us a couple of touchdowns. And that's what I see when I see us believing that we should, as black people, be relegated to this idea of praying to white Jesus, black Jesus, and baby Jesus, that the economic gods, a.k.a. white men in America, for the most part, who run these corporations, that they'll just give us some scraps and give us some opportunities, and then when they will be successful. So that's where statements like, uh, you know, just open the door, give me, I don't want nobody to give me nothing, just open the door, and I'll get it myself. Well, that's, you know, that's like the 49ers saying to the, to the Chiefs, like, look, I don't want you to give me any touchdowns, but just... Clear the pathway. Let me run through the let me run through the hole, and I'll run to the end zone by myself. Just don't tackle me when I run into the end zone. And then what happens is, and I believe that we're trained to be weak in this way. And then what happens is that when you really get when you do get tackled, when they really want when they compete with you, when they try to stop you from scoring, we don't tend to be trained to do what you're supposed to do, which is to try again, fight back, or make another battle plan. We're trained to just cry about it. We're trained to whine. Give me a yes if you heard. How many of y'all have ever heard people say stuff like this? I hear, I hear it all the time. Because from where I'm at, you know, I I just, because, you know, when you have hundreds of thousands of followers, this is this, you hear everything. How many of y'all have ever heard black people say stuff like, well, I don't know why we should build a black Wall Street, because every time we build one, all they do is they they burn it down anyway. They go and just burn it down. Or or let, let me tell you, they, black people was doing this. They was doing it real well. And then and then they came along and they 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 tore it down or they infiltrated it and they undermined it and they stopped it and all that. And, and, and I get it. I understand. It sucks. Right. And sometimes they'll cheat. They'll they'll cheat to stop you. They they will. And um, but that's that's called competition, people. That's what that's what that's what that's called. Do you really think that the 49ers were going to ever score a single touchdown without the Kansas City Chiefs doing everything in their power to tackle them, block them, run them over, knock them down, knock them out of bounds, do whatever they had to do to keep them out of the end zone? Yes. That's what that you to win to win championships, you have to fight. You do. It sucks. And the thing is, it's, it's um you know, again, if the 49ers accept their role of being inferior, then, yeah, it's very peaceful. Nobody gets hurt. You don't even have to play. You don't have to put the uniform on. You don't have to sweat. It's not hard. It's easy. That's the easy path. And a lot of us in life are trained to take the easy path. Don't rate, don't cause no trouble. Don't white, make white folks mad. Don't go out here. You know, you get on your job. Don't be out here talking crazy. Don't be out here acting a fool. I'm not saying you should do any of these things. Or don't go try to start your own business. All that's going to do is mess you up. Right. And I get that. But then there are some people who who kind of want a little bit more. And, and, and for those of you that feel that way, I, I want to encourage you to understand a very basic idea that there is more out there for you. But it ain't never going to be easy. There are opportunities out there for you, but you have to go through the difficult and, and uncomfortable task of learning where opportunities come from. That's why I speak to you regularly. When we talk about our, our, our business school for kids, I say, don't just teach your child how to get a job. Teach your child how to create a job. 
Why? How come? How come they? they why Reggie Reginald Wilkins or Reggie? I can't remember his last name. His name, the black billionaire. He wrote that book. Why should white guys have all the fun? Why say? Why should white guys be the only people that can create opportunities in America? I don't want to go begging for an opportunity. And I'm 52 years old. I'm tired of asking you for stuff. I want to be the one who's creating the opportunity. I want to be the OG. I want to be the Don. I want to be the boss. I want to be the leader. I want to be the Godfather. Sometimes. I don't want to be a little boy forever. I'm not doing that. I'm not. I'm not. And it, 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 it rattles people because it, it, it's me not playing my position. I go through it all the time. I met a really wealthy white guy who, who I, and he asked me about the black business school. And I told him, I said, yeah, we have about 162,000 students worldwide. And we've taught a, a few million people how to buy their first share of stock. And, and I believe that we played a significant role in helping to reshape economic culture in the black community. And he was so impressed. He was so impressed. He was such a nice guy, by the way. I did. There's nothing against this man. He was so impressed, and I could tell this man had money. I, there's something about him. I think he, you know, people bowed to him and stuff. So I think he's probably worth a couple hundred million dollars. And I think that he was thinking about ways he could support and help what we're doing. And I and I wouldn't reject support if it came in the right con you know, con context, but whatever. But I didn't ask for that. I just told him, you know, he asked me about it and I told him and he was like just enamored with it. And he's like, yeah, so what's your background? I said, yeah, I'm a finance professor. And this is what I, I was at Syracuse University. And this is the problem I saw. And this is why what I did next. And uh, and he was so impressed. And so when we got done talking I think I just texted him. I said, hey, well, it's very nice to meet you, Steve. Uh, if there's any, ever anything I can do, uh, let me know. And and then he he texts me back and he's like, it was very nice to meet you, boys. If there's ever anything I can do to help you with your cause, let me know. And I think I, I almost got a feeling that he was surprised that as a black man, I offered to help him. That it wasn't a matter of me saying, hey, I'd like for you to support my organization. No, I don't. I'm not. I'm not here asking you for that. That that's not that's not what we know. No, I just you asked me a question. I told you about it, but I could have sat there the whole time with you and enjoyed talking to you without at all feeling the need to impress your whiteness with what I'm doing over here, because what we're doing over here is so powerful that it's probably more advanced than 99 percent of what you've got going on over there. Like you've got some cool stuff happening. You're doing A.I. and all these other amazing things, quantum computers. I love all that. But what we're doing over here is absolutely revolutionary. We're literally creating the next generation of the greatest economic thinkers on the fucking planet. Excuse my French. I won't cuss anymore because it's Sunday. I shouldn't have done that. But that's what we're doing. And we're getting it done. And I'm qualified to do this. And, and my team is qualified. We got we got our PhDs over here. And they're not just regular PhDs. My wife is not a regular PhD. Do you understand that when my wife started her PhD program, there were five black students in her program? Guess how many out of those five students survived to graduation? Guess out of the, out of the, out of the original five, the Little Rock five, <laughs> guess how many graduated and, and finished and got to their doctorate? What? Four? No. Three? No. Two? No. One. There was one. One. So she's an academic super soldier. I, I, so, so I'm sitting here thinking... If I'm sitting here as a black man who gets up every day and busts my butt, who's highly trained, who's committed to my cause, centered on my purpose, I'm clear about what my purpose is, and I'm riding next to one of the baddest black women on the planet, you can't intimidate me. We we are the we, we're not trying to compete with the Kansas City Chiefs. We are the Chiefs. We are planning to win the Super Bowl. I don't know what I, I'm like. Well, I don't know what y'all gonna do, but we're 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 here to win the trophy. We're not here to submit to anybody's supremacy at all. And uh, and and I really think as black people, we have to be the kinds of warriors. I'm talking about those of you that really get it. Those of you that that want something different and better. You got to be that warrior. You can't get in your feelings and sad and offended because they compete with you or because they're because they're uncomfortable with what you're doing that's going to come with the territory that is a sign that you're a relevant player in the game is when they start to try to tackle you if they're not trying to tackle you that means you you know what you you are when 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 nobody when you're running down the football field and everybody's just clearing the path and not trying to tackle you you know what you are you like have you ever has anybody ever seen those cute little like heartwarming videos on YouTube 
where there's like some poor little kid that's like disabled, maybe he's got like Down syndrome or something, and everybody just agrees, like, okay, everybody, we we're gonna we're gonna let Billy score a touchdown today, right? It might, I'm not making fun of it at all. I promise you, I'm not. I, I'm not making fun of it at all. But you know what I'm talking about? You you've seen those videos, right? You know what I'm talking about? And they just give him the ball, and then he starts running down the field, and he's really run like he really feels like he's really scoring a touchdown. And people and the other players on the other team are like running, and then they're diving at him and and landing on the ground and, and acting like they're trying to like tackle him. And then he gets in the end zone and everybody cheers and goes crazy. That's kind of how I, I see us when we're expecting that you're really going to be able to win the game of competitive economics without having any competition. That's what I, that's what I see when I think that we, we believe that we can win Super Bowls and score touchdowns and nobody's going to try to tackle you. Nobody's going to try to intercept the ball. Nobody's going to try to play defense on you. No, they're going to play defense. And the harder the defense is that they play, the more of a threat you have become, the more powerful you have become. So I love it when they play defense on me. I love it when they come after me. I love it when, even when I get haters, the haters are like real serious about me. I say, thank you for being so serious because that is a sign of respect. That's showing me that you see me, you see what we're doing here. You see how powerful this is. You see where this thing is going. And and, and believe me, it's, it's going to be a battle and you can try to stop this train if you want to, but you probably won't. You probably won't. So, so, so this to me is what I believe when, when I, when I talk to you guys and I talked about this in, in my book, the 10 commandments of black economic power, what it means to be an economic God. Let's make that the lesson for today. Let's make that our lesson. I was going to pull slides. I promise you I was, but sometimes God puts me on a different mission. And when he does that, I listen, I don't ignore that. So, so if you want to know what that means, let's start here. In the Black Business School, we have what we call the Black Core of Three. The Black Core of Three are our basic core beliefs that drive everything that we do. And the Black Core of Three is very simple. The Black Core of Three says that we believe that Black people should educate our own children, create our own jobs, and support Black-owned businesses. When, when Kanye West called last year during the All Black National Convention and he called me in the middle of the night and he wanted to know what we do and why, because everybody in Chicago had been talking about, about what we were doing, that was the first thing I said to him. I said, this is what we do. And uh, and, and, and and to Kanye's credit, he's, he's, he's as weird as he appears to be in public, but to his credit, the next morning he, send, he sends me this text message and in the text message, he, he writes down, educate our own children, create our own jobs, support black owned businesses. And I, and I said, the reason that we have to educate our own children is because the school system is screwing our kids up. They're not just undereducating them. They're doing things that are even worse. They're miseducating them. They are, there are a whole lot of smart, highly educated, miseducated black people in our community, and they're not doing any good for anybody. Uh, they, they're, they're miseducating them. They are uh, distracting them in horrible ways. They're filling their brains up with all the wrong stuff. They're also taking their energy, their amazing intellectual energy, and they're having it targeted to the point where they're doing things for other people more so than they're doing things for themselves. In fact, they are, some of them are so brainwashed that they really believe that doing something for the black community should either be an, a, a, an exercise that you do in your spare time, or it should be some type of charity as opposed to actually thinking about the fact that you should be doing business in your community when you can, you should be connected to your community. You, you know, and, and, uh, and it even involves controversial topics, you know, uh, and I did actually, when, when I, when I talked to Kanye about even marriage, I, I said, you know, I think that who a man marries says a lot about him. I said, I would never have married a Kardashian because I would feel weird doing what I do saying, here's my wife, Kim Kardashian. No, I, I need my wife to be a black woman. And why is that? Well, because for me personally, uh, that was my greatest investment. There's no greater investment I can make in a community than, than to invest my life. So investing, I, I could give black people a couple of dollars, but giving them my life and my time and investing 100,000 hours into raising black children and, and being next to a black woman, that's far more, that's a heavier investment than any financial investment I've ever made. That's more important than any charity work I've ever done. That's more important than any class I've ever taught. So, so ultimately, what I'm saying to you is that at the end of the day, uh, there, there has to be kind of a paradigm of thought. So when you talk about educating our own children, uh, this is something that black people are supposed to do. This is not something that white people are supposed to do anyway. So this is one of the reasons why you won't really see me spending a whole lot of time complaining about 
the fact that white people don't educate our kids very well, because I, I honestly, no disrespect if you're white, but I don't really believe you should be educating black people anyway. I believe that we should be doing that. We should be owning the schools, running the schools, defining the curriculum, deciding the agenda. That should be our job, but that's going to cost money. It's going to take a level of economic maturity. Economic maturity means you pay the cost to be the boss. Immaturity means you think you can be the boss without paying the cost. Immaturity means you think you can get the, the power without putting in the time and putting in the work. Immaturity means that, that you think that babysitting another man's institution is the same as controlling and running an institution of your own. And that is not true. One real life example of how economics never goes away in these important conversations is go look at Harvard University right now. Look at Harvard University. Harvard University, for whatever reason, I guess they felt like that their, their professors and their scholars could run that institution. And right now, the billionaires who pay the bills at Harvard have confronted the institution. And I don't even agree with what they're saying. I think that what they're saying is kind of ridiculous, but they're confronting the institution saying, oh, who did you think ran this hen house? Who the hell you think who you, you you up in my they they did they did they're doing Harvard like your mama used to do. You remember your mama used to tell remind you who pays the bills? Or your daddy would be like, You don't pay no rent up in here. You don't buy no, you don't put food on this table. You act like you think you grown? No, you're 14. You pay no bills up in this house. So that's what they're doing right now. So in order for you to control your outcomes and in, in, in your institutions, you have to understand the economics. And be willing to make the sacrifice and make the investment to have control of those institutions. And it's not even just true with institutions, it's true with everything. Like a person who is like, and this is the thing, this is where you gotta you gotta stop being distracted by bright, shiny objects. A lot of us get excited. Like, it's like how many of y'all notice like how excited black people get when a black person gets promoted to some important job? Anybody notice that? You go to LinkedIn, there's like somebody, like a black lady that's like the CEO of Xerox or a black man that gets to become CEO of American Express or something. <laughs> and I think that's fine. I'm not saying these people are worthless or bad or anything like that. But what I think we forget is that is that running an institution is not the same as controlling and owning that institution. It's not. It's it's like it's like it's like a babysitter thinking that if I babysit enough kids, that'll be the same as being the parent. No, you're still not the parent. You're attached to the kid. You you love that little baby. You see the baby all day. You might spend more time with a child than their own mother spends with that child. But when 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 stuff hits the fan or something goes wrong in that child's life, and you want to intervene, and your plan does not or, or somehow conflicts with the mother's plan, who do you think that the state and the government is going to support? The babysitter or the mother? Who's going to have power in that situation? The babysitter or the mother? It ain't going to be the babysitter. So the babysitter, as much as the babysitter thinks that, that, look, I can just babysit lots of kids and that'll be the same as being a parent. It's it's a special experience for sure. And you're making a wonderful contribution. Absolutely. But th that's not the same as giving birth to a child, having that child come out of your body or your partner's body, changing the baby's diapers, incubating the baby when they're tiny and taking care of that baby, investing the 50,000, 60,000 hours it takes to raise a child up until the age of 18. I said 60,000 hours. It's not. Let's see. Yeah, it's actually more than that. It takes about 87,000 hours of, of time to raise a child to the age of 10. So you spend about... Um, about 175,000 hours getting them to the age of 20. So I have a 20 year old in the other room and his mother is his number one, uh, his number one consigliere in every, and all things that matter on earth, because she's put in 175,000 hours in, invested in him. She invested, she didn't invest money. She invested time. She invested love. She invested all the things that were more important than money. She's, she worries about him all the time. She's always checking on him every day. She does that consistently. So that investment turned him into an asset that belongs to her. So that big six foot eight kid that's in the other room right now, I, I love him. He, I'm his bonus dad. I've invested in him too, but I'm a minor, I have a minority stake. I don't have a majority stake. I accept that. Right. And, but, but his mother, she's the boss. She's the, the primary stakeholder in that particular asset because she invested the time. So, so don't you ever let anybody ever tell you that being a mother or being a father or, or creating something of your own isn't the most worthy, most beneficial, most powerful thing you can do in your life. Motherhood is the ultimate prize. That is the ultimate wealth. That is the ultimate power. How many, think about this. Think about how many killers, gangsters, thugs, thieves, crooks, criminals, in prison inmates, 
will kill everybody in sight, but but they will always love their mama. <laughs> Mamas are powerful. Mothers are powerful. But unfortunately, we, because of capitalism and our obsession with money and we worship money, we forget about the things that are more important than money. No, motherhood is always more important than money. There's no competition. It's not even close. And fatherhood is more important than money. So, 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 so here's my point. Here's what I'm getting at. When you're talking about having power and control over your assets, one of those assets might be your own damn children, right? It's not just buildings and businesses. That's that's too. That's all. This applies to buildings and businesses and institutions also. But also, even when you talk about control over people, which is an incredibly valuable asset in the black community, he who pays the cost gets to be the boss. There's usually no way around the sacrifice and the time and the investment required to maintain majority control and ownership over that asset. There's no way around that. Like you can't fake it and then act like you still did everything required to truly have real impact or real ownership and control over that asset, including your children. So what, what has happened, and this is something that I think is going to be a hard conversation that we can negotiate on our own in whatever way you feel comfortable, is that you sold your kids to these crappy, horrible schools you pack them up, you ship them out so that these, you know, Sally from the suburbs is making money designing horrible curriculums for so your child can go to school and pretend to learn something. And in the meantime, they're not just not not all kids, but they're not learning very much. They're not learning the right things. They're not learning the right values that are going to turn them back to their own community. They're, you know, if you come in and you say, I want to really do what's best for the black community, I want to build in the black community, they look at you like you're crazy. Like, oh my God, who would want to build in the black community? That's not possible. Your goal is to get out of the hood, not to go back to it. Why would you go? Why would you go back to the hood? That's like going back to prison. <laughs> that's that's how it is, right? You know what I'm talking about. We all a lot of us grew up in that space where it's like, well, we, I want to get out of the hood and get my mom out the okay, okay, whatever. I get it. I understand. So, but having that critical awareness, thank you, Calvin, that's a great term, uh, allows you to just understand that nine times out of 10, when you talk about real power, there are a few substitutes for real power outside of ownership and control. And true ownership and true control requires a level of consciousness where you understand the difference between flash and substance. What's an example of Flash? An example of Flash is some stupid rapper who gets on stage and has a, a 10 million followers on Instagram and everybody thinks this person's powerful and he's a mogul because he's got all these followers and he made a couple of hit records. But then when you go under the surface, Diddy, you find out that even in the brands that he claims to control and have all this power with, you know, he, he hasn't made any real significant financial investment. He has no significant ownership. Uh, I think I think with Diddy's um, and I'm not here to diss Diddy. I, I, I'm not doing that. I I don't want that because I know people that know him. So I have to be careful. But um, I remember I was very shocked when I read about his vodka deal and they were like, yeah, well, he only put a thousand dollars. It was some insanely low amount of money. That they that they said he invested in in the brand, so they were like, "Dude, you're not even investing in this. How do you act like you can control all this when you're not even putting up any of the money?" And and what they were saying is that there's a you have to pay the cost to be the boss. Now he was bringing wealth because he has a brand and recognition and all that, but to me the giveaway was when the relationship went bad. He was going public and saying, hey, y'all, they're being racist, y'all. They're mistreating me. Uh, you know, they're messing me up on my job. They should be doing me better. They should be promoting my stuff better. And 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 I was thinking, well, if you're kind of if you're really the boss, shouldn't you just be able to fire them? If they're if they're really that bad, like get rid of them. that's what I do when, when somebody on my team ain't acting right. I fire them. You got to go. I don't go and say, hey, you know, my, my employees mistreating me and it ain't right. I don't that that's not what that's not what the boss does. And 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 again, I'm I'm using that as an example, but the thing about it is that pushing that to the side, I think that it's important that we have the economic maturity to understand what the boss really looks like and what that what's really required to do that. Uh, you know, it's it's like um when athletes go into the NFL and they're and they're fighting for their lives to get a 1% stake in an NFL team. Uh they, like that's such a big deal. Um well, it's not a big deal to me because really, if you want real power in the NFL, you have to go create another NFL. 
you have to do what the NFL founders did. They created this little crappy little league back in 1925 or whatever. And they had all these teams. Nobody wanted. They would, they were like, Hey, we got this team called the Chicago bears. Would you like to be the owner for $200? No, that's too much. I'm not paying $200 to, to own this worthless team. <laughs> so, so, okay. How about a hundred dollars? Okay. I'll give you a hundred dollars for the, for the, this, the Chicago bears. And, and, and the, uh, how about the Buffalo bills? Would you like to own the bills too? Uh, how much are they? Uh, well, I only pay 50 bucks for it. That's where they started. That's where they began. They began with these massive billion dollar brands that were little tiny babies, little tiny economic babies. And they gave birth to these economic babies. Pay attention now. I'm going back to that analogy with motherhood and how mothers and fathers pay the ultimate price and make the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate investment. That's why they have so much power over the child. Nobody has more power uh, over the child than the mother. Uh, why? Well, because the mother makes the greatest investment. So they take the little, they took the little economic baby. They poured into that baby when nobody wanted the baby, when the baby was tiny and ugly and looked worthless and everybody told them to abort the baby. Uh, my mother, when I was a little baby, people told my mother, just get rid of this little, little thing. He ain't going to he's he ain't gonna be nothing but trouble. It's going to be expensive and it's going to be people going to make fun of you. They're going to call you a whore for getting pregnant at the age of 16. They, you know, she went through hell and my mother just had a, had a faith, vision, courage, whatever it takes. And she just said, no, 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 this baby's going to be special. So just like your little business, your little raggedy, ugly business that ain't making no money, the, 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 like 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 you feel like you on a ship that's got holes in it, right? Or you're making your investment in your little whatever you're investing in, whether it's people, a business, or an idea, or whatever. It it's it's it, it can start off raggedy. So my mother took this little raggedy knucklehead baby who had a big old head, who was who cried a lot, who was a pain in the butt, and she had no man to help her at that time because my father was not around. She stuck with this little baby. And then, but then the baby grew and she poured into the baby, 200,000 hours of consistent time and energy into this baby. And then guess what? Over time, the baby grows up into Boyce Watkins. And now, you know, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a good baby to have in your life right now. Now this, this baby can pay off your house. Now this baby can come. He's going to show up and make sure mama gets to her doctor's appointments. Now this baby is telling the whole world what an amazing woman you are securing your legacy at an, an extraordinary level. It, even after, even when she's gone, I'm going to be talking about my mama forever. Right. But and this is because we pour into, we celebrate the people that pour into us. Right. So the same thing would be true when you talk about your business. The people that have power in America, the people that are running things, the real bosses in America, the Jeff Bezoses. If you want to understand the Jeff Bezoses, you got to go back and look at the video back when Amazon was so cheap and raggedy that he had this ugly little office and he wrote Amazon on a chalkboard. And that was his company. Right? That was him claiming this thing, claiming this baby. Now, now everybody wants to be down with Amazon. Back then, they didn't want you. Now you're hot. They all on you. Shout out to Mike Jones. That's what he, he's the he's the white Mike Jones. So, so the point is to say that you got to invest in something if you want to have real power. Real power tends to be built off of substance, not flash. Real power is built on what you actually are, not what you pretend to be. And we live in this world where people are addicted to social media, people are addicted to fakeness. They're addicted to what things look like as opposed to what things actually are. They're addicted to what things look like on the surface as opposed to what's underneath the surface. And I think it's very important that you don't know the difference. You can fake it. To, you can fake it. They say you fake it till you make it. But if you're always faking it, you never really made it. Eventually, the fake is going to wear off and people are going to see what you really did and what work you really put in and what investment you really made and what sacrifice you really made. So figure out what you're, what you're trying to sacrifice for. And that is the space within which you will have power. So if you build a family, which again, in my book, The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power, if you haven't gotten a copy, feel free to go to drboysbooks.com. It's also on Audible if you just want to listen to it. I repeatedly explain to you very logically how the black family is an untapped multi-million dollar asset. So if you invest in that asset and you manage that asset properly, you make that asset your top priority and you make sure that you are a husband that makes sure that you 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 take good care of your wife, you're taking good care of your kids, you're, you're having those healthy babies, you're pouring into them every day, you're a good wife that learns how to work things out with your husband so you can build that strong family, well, that's going to be the space within which you yield power. Nobody will be able to come into that space and make any rules except for you. That That is your kingdom. That is your kingdom. And to go back to the analogy early with the Kansas City Chiefs, 
it's ironic that what what do people do any football fans in here does anybody know what the Kansas City Chiefs refer to themselves as what's the nickname that the Chiefs fans give to give to their their space what do they call themselves Chiefs Kingdom there we go thank you Dr. Vibe Chiefs Kingdom they're saying we poured into this. We invested in this. We put our time, our money, our blood, our sweat, tears, energy into this. We stuck with this team when times were tough. So now that we're winning, we control this. We run this, right? So what is your kingdom? I believe every independent thinking black person needs to have some space that is your kingdom, even if it's a tiny space. Because I can just tell you, it doesn't have to be a big space for you to feel like a king or feel like a queen. It doesn't, you don't have to run the world to feel like you have power over, over something. You, you don't have to run the world, but you can run your world. What is your kingdom? What is your space? What do you own? What are you invested in? And, and, and one thing, one little tip I'm going to give you on this, and this is true because this is what I actually did when I started doing my little raggedy thing and nobody cared about it, is that that thing that you're pouring into is more important than anything that's happening outside of those walls. Do you hear me? That what you're pouring into every day, that child that you're pouring into, that's more important than anything happening outside of your house. That that family, more important than anything else. That business, more important than anything else. Your goals, more important than anything else. That means that when people try to distract you with bright, shiny Negroes and bright, shiny nonsense and, and stupid, whether silly drama or, or what somebody else is doing over here or trying to be connected to what somebody's got going on over there and all that, that's a waste of your time. Ain't none of that more important than what you got going on in your kingdom. Jennifer, you have a kingdom. Darlene, you have a kingdom. Sharon, you have a kingdom. Dr. Vibe, I know Dr. Vibe's got a kingdom because I see your channel. I see you pouring into that every day. Uh, everybody should follow Dr. Vibe, by the way. Look him up, Dr. Vibe, V-I-B-E. He's a great friend of me and my wife, and I love this guy. So, so the point of the matter is to say that you got to find something. Find your kingdom, pour into that. And then you can form partnerships with other people's kingdoms. And this is what integration is supposed to look like. See, the problem for black people with integration, the reason integration kicked us in our butt, the reason integration set us backward is because we did not value our kingdom. So y'all don't understand. I went over to the Motor Speedway at the Daytona 500, and I was glad to be there. It was really interesting to watch and all that. But then I started thinking about the golden and glory sweepstakes back when black people had their own racing league and they would travel around the country and black people would go travel with these racers in these fast cars and, and they became celebrities and they would build all these businesses. So check this out, pay attention now. So I'm at, I go to the Daytona 500 and I'm driving through the field and, and I, and, and at this race, there are thousands of RVs, all these rednecks, all these hillbillies that drove from all over the country, drove up their little RVs, camped out for a week, brought their families, camped out for a week, set up little businesses and selling T-shirts and food and, 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 and camaraderie all around this freaking race. And I was talking to a guy from Chevy and he was explaining the vast multi-million dollar economic ecosystem that exists around the Daytona 500. That doesn't even include the race. The race is just part of the festivities, but there's so many other things that happen beyond the race. And that's what you lost when you lost the Negro Leagues. You got, you traded in a massive economy, a massive, vast, multi-million, eventually multi-billion dollar economic ecosystem so you can have one Negro with a job, Jackie Robinson. You traded in all that substance for symbolism. You traded in that which was real for that which was fake. You traded ownership for, for being a mascot. That's what you did. You traded in the power of ownership for simply being a token. Jackie Robinson getting a job didn't do nothing for nobody. It didn't even do nothing for Jackie Robinson except get him called a nigga every single day of the week. That, don't, that didn't do nothing for the black economy. I don't want Jackie Robinson. I want NASCAR. Like that's what I want. Man, I don't want the NFL. I want the Negro Leagues. I I I I want something that's bigger and that that's bigger than all of us. Something that creates an entire ecosystem, so that when you get into that ecosystem, you ain't thinking about what's happening in the world. All these people that were at this Daytona race, all these hillbillies that drove around in their RVs and sitting on the sitting on the little RV porch with their little cans of beer with their little American flag. Some of them had a little Trump flag <laughs> on top of their RV. They didn't have a care in the world. They don't care what you think. They ain't thinking about uh, other people. They ain't worried about what's happening outside those walls. 
Because they're like, well, you know, whatever you believe is true on your side of town. But over here, this is our little kingdom. This is our kingdom. This is our space. So what is your kingdom? What is your space? One kingdom we try, we, we try to maintain is the all-black national convention. You guys know about that. If you come to the all-black national convention, it, we don't even tell non-black people they can't come. We don't. We don't discriminate. I don't believe in doing that because some of y'all got white spouses and I respect them too. I don't have, I'm not here to be mean to you because of who, who you love and all that. I'm, I, that's your choice, right? We don't tell people they can't come, but they, people just, they just, they just, just black people want to be there. And, and nine times out of 10, it's a hundred percent black, but it doesn't, it's not because I've ever said that other people can't come. But they know they come in that space. They can identify, oh, we've marked this territory. This is our kingdom. This is our space. There's nothing wrong with being intelligent and black. There's nothing wrong with being progressive and black. There's nothing wrong with wanting to own black businesses and build families and all that. Like, so in that space, that is our kingdom. Do you understand? So find your kingdom, find your space. And again, I can invite you to our space as well. It's it's it, it belongs to all of us. It's not just me. It's not it's not the boys walking show at all. And I made sure my team understood that it's about our us. It's about our ideas. Okay. And uh, and actually, if you guys want to join us, and uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and shut it down now, so we can get on with our day. But uh, if you want to join us at the convention, it's going to be in Chicago, uh, October twenty fifth through the twenty seventh, in a town called Lombard, which is right outside of Chicago. If you'd like to go get your early bird tickets, uh, you can go to allblacknationalconvention.com. That's allblacknationalconvention. Com. It's a great place to network, learn economics, and it's not massive. It's not a gigantic time kind of event. It's very intimate. So uh, so you'll get a chance to actually meet people and talk to the speakers and connect and all that. So because we don't want a festival, we want something where people can be serious, where there's a critical mass of people, but we need the right people. We don't want people there on nonsense. We want people there that are on that are about business and dollars and cents and want to grow. So anyway, if you want to come, uh, just go to allblacknationalconvention.com. And also uh, another thing that's happening is I'll be in Los Angeles uh, April 19th uh, through the 20th. Uh, we're going to do a stock options summit. So if you want to join us for the stock options summit in Los Angeles, April 19th, that's happening there. Uh, stock options are, I think, a really important way to build wealth that I'd love to introduce you to. So feel free to do that. If you can't make it, um, just text the word money to 87948 and I'll send you a training I did called how to make money without working. Uh, just go to a uh, text. So text the word money to 87948 if you have not done that yet. And uh, the last thing I want to mention to you guys is that on Tuesday, Tuesday, uh, this upcoming Tuesday, the, I guess that's the 20th, is that, or is that the, yeah, Tuesday, the 20th at 8 PM, I'm going to do a training on an introduction to how to sell stock options. So if you're confused by it, or you're not sure how to do it, uh, just feel free to join us. And, um, and here's a discount code. So until tonight, you can actually get 48% off the regular prices to something or 199 or something like that, but you can get it for 67 bucks. Uh, it'll be the best investment you ever made. And there's a money back guarantee. If you're not happy, we always do that because we're that confident in what we offer. All right. So uh, I'm going to share this link with you guys in the chat. And uh, so feel free to grab that. And also, again, if you text the word money to 87948, I'll send you that training, how to make money without working. I hope this conversation has benefited you. I hope you're feeling as uh, excited about life as I am right now. Uh, I, and please feel free to let me know how I can do things better. And we're going to meet tomorrow morning, like we do every morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. And uh, and also, so if you want to get the recordings of any of the other trainings that we've done up until this point, you can go to drboycedaily.com. That's drboycedaily.com. So God bless you guys. Let's go get it. Uh, this is uh, B1 Kingdom. <laughs> We're going to go win our Super Bowls. Uh, and uh, and, I, and, I, and we can't do it without you. And I love you and I appreciate you very, very much, 100%. So thank you, Calvin and Angel and Dave and, uh, and Jennifer. I see you in the chat. So I'll see you guys tomorrow. Have a good night. See you later or a good day. Bye-bye.